Lord Jesus, we thank you for another wonderful day, uh, good weather to come here this morning and to, to study your word and to worship you. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would bless this time together and that you would help us to see clearly what you have to, ta- to say to us in your word today. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, we are in Hebrews 13 today again, so go ahead and turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 13. And our text for this morning is verses 7 through 19. And just uh, as brief review, remember, we're approaching the very end of the book of Hebrews. So our section that we're dealing with in these last few weeks is the very final exhortations that the author of Hebrews is giving to everyone that has read thus far in this epistle. Because he's been expounding the doctrine of Christ And we will review some of the stuff that the author of Hebrews has been saying when we uh, bring this series to a conclusion next week with the final verses of Hebrews. But uh, after covering all this business about the doctrine of Christ, the author of Hebrews now is going through this list of things that he wants his readers to understand. That is, now that he's presented the gospel, now how do we live in light of the gospel as people who have been saved by Christ? So that's the big picture context of what's going on in these last few chapters. And last week we were dealing with the whole subject of worship. We saw that there was corporate worship, which is what we do here on Sunday mornings. We we sing and we praise God and we hear his word and all that. But then we also saw that there was a category called worship in all of life, where we glorify God with everything that we do. We seek to serve him in that way because all of our good works as believers are called sacrifices acceptable to God. Okay, And so we're continuing that theme of worship in all of life this morning, but we're doing it in a, in a more focused way. Last week, the worship in all of life was very general. And this week, now with verses 7 through 19, our author wants to tell us a little bit about how we worship God with respect to how we treat leaders. All right, So that's sort of the... The subject that we have this morning is is how should we treat our leaders? And the author of Hebrews is going to give us four ways that we should treat our leaders, right? Four things that we need to remember as people who submit to the leaders that God has placed over us, all right? Now, here are the things that he says. Number one, he says we are to imitate leaders. Now, we are to imitate leaders. Secondly, we are to listen to our leaders, as they teach us. So imitate our leaders and listen to our leaders. Right? The third one is obey our leaders. We obey and we submit to the leaders. And then finally, we are to support our leaders. We support and we pray for leaders. Right? And all four of those things are going to work together this morning here in this passage. So let me read the passage for us, verses 7 through 19 here, Hebrews 13, and I want you to sort of listen for some of those points, if you can remember some of them. Listen to how the author of Hebrews tells us to do these things as we live in light of the gospel. So, verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday And today, and forever, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, 
not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, in order that I may be restored to you sooner. So I hope that uh, as I read that passage, you could hear some of those points that I reverberated a minute ago about leaders. This passage is not a passage about how to be a good leader. It's not the seven steps to highly effective leadership or something. But what it is, is it is actually the, what you call it, the four steps to highly effective being led. So what this actually is, is this is a passage that is designed to teach us as God's people how we should think and how we should respond to the leaders that God has placed over us. All right? Now, as I said a moment ago, the first thing that our author wants us to see here is that the way we treat our leaders is, number one, we are to, verse 7, here's what he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And today you can see that the, that the first thing that we should do is we're thinking about leaders and how we deal with them in our life. We should see that they are worthy of imitation. Now we know some leaders are not worthy of imitation, right? Some leaders kind of, you know, <laughs> they're just, they got a lot of problems, right? We know that. We probably have some leaders like that in our life. But the idea here of the passage is that God has placed leaders over us in various positions in our life. And those leaders might take the form of, you know, they might be government officials, they might be parents, they might be church officers, they might be, you know, they could take a number of different forms in these different ways. And what the author of Hebrews is calling us to do is he wants us to say, look and see, look at those leaders in your life, look at those role models, and see if you can find some that live godly lives. And if you can find leaders like that, imitate them. Because what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that God has placed some people in your life to be people that should be examples for you to follow. People who do great things or people who are just good, gospel-loving people that you can emulate. And one of the things that I've tried to do is I've been paying attention in my life over the last 
several years as I've been searching for role models, right? And I've, I've found some. I've found some wonderful men that I've sought to emulate, wonderful God-fearing men who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I think of one just off the top of my head, for example. He's a guy named Richard Wells. He was the president of uh, my alma mater, John Witherspoon College. And uh, he was a full-time pastor and a full-time president of the college. And he was a guy, I remember after meeting him, coming home, Jordan, you might remember this, I came home and I said, Jordan, I'm like, that guy is a guy I want to be like. Because he was just such an incredibly godly man who had the gospel in the center of his life and he was leading both the church and the school. What a wonderful example of a leader that God put in my life that I could see that's someone I want to be like. And so the author of Hebrews here calls us, search for the leaders in your life. And Lord willing, they are people that God has placed there to be examples for you to follow in their, their piety, in their devotion to Christ, in their work ethic. In, you know, if you fill in the blank, you name it. God wants us to search for people that are godly and to seek to emulate them. Right? But we know that there is a little bit of a danger with that kind of an idea, isn't there? Because sometimes if we put too much trust in a human leader, we're going to get disappointed. If we put too much trust in someone, some human person, some pastor, right? some professor, some person, they're going to let us down. And so while on the one hand we are searching for people to emulate and to imitate their faith, as the Bible says right here, we also want to keep in mind why the author of Hebrews in verse 8 says what he says. He says, imitate the faith of the leaders. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And why would he just throw that random statement in there? It almost feels random. Remember your leaders. Imitate their faith. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, it's because we should be seeking for good earthly leaders to imitate their faith. However, the chief leader, the chief person that we should look to if we want to see examples of godliness is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus isn't just an example of a godly person. Jesus is the self-revelation of God Almighty. Now, Jesus says, if you want to know what the Father is like, if you want to know who God is, look at me. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing here. Human leaders, they can be helpful. They can be profoundly beneficial to us. They can be God's gift to us as examples for us to follow. But we don't put our ultimate trust in them. We put our trust in the unchangeable Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, again, like we talked about two weeks ago, there is nothing unbiblical about the idea that Jesus is a good example for us to follow. We study the Gospels, we study his life, we study his, his godly piety, how he prayed to God, how he was versed in the scriptures, all these things. Jesus is a good example for us to follow. Now that's not all he is. We know he is the Savior. He gives us his righteousness. He takes our sin. He dies on the cross. All of that is absolutely the case. But building on that, he's also an example for our life. And so we need to hold both of those things because that's what the author of Hebrews is doing here. 
Now, he's going to talk more about imitating Christ in a few verses. But here in verse 9, he actually transitions now to our second point. First point was we imitate leaders. That's one way that we respond to the leaders that God has placed in our life is we imitate them. But the second thing we do, verses 9 through 12, is we listen to our leaders as they teach us. We listen to our leaders as they teach us. Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So notice what the author of Hebrews is saying there. He's warning them now, making this transition to say, don't be led away by false teaching. I mean, I'm just shocked how many times the Bible says stuff like that. Right? You read any part of the Bible that's going to be worrying you about false teaching. That's a serious warning. But he says, don't be led away by false teaching. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Translation, you remember how the original readers of this epistle are Jewish Christians. And those Jewish Christians are hearing false teaching from practicing Jews who are saying, you don't need Christ, you don't need that whole Christian thing, just come back to Judaism. Come back to the temple, come back to the sacrifices, come back to the priesthood. And the the whole point of this epistle has been to argue against that. But here the author says, people who are spreading those kind of false teachings, you don't want to pay attention to them. Don't listen to those things. Why? Because they are giving you half-baked food. They are giving you things that do not even satisfy them. The Old Testament business, the priesthood and the sacrifices and all that, that's all been fulfilled by Christ. You don't need any of that. Don't go back to that half-baked food. It's of no benefit to them. It certainly won't be a benefit to you. Rather, focus on, verse 7, the leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Now there he's talking not just about himself, but he's also talking about the rest of the apostles who have brought this message to them that says, Jesus is everything. You don't need that old stuff anymore. He has fulfilled it. So you can see the injunction there that says, listen to what your leaders have taught you. They are from God. They have spoken the word of God to you. And what did they say? Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gates in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And so you can see that's the teaching. That is the word of God that the leaders of these people brought to them. Don't listen to the false teaching out there. Listen to what the godly leaders that God has placed over you have been teaching you. They've been teaching you this, that Jesus is everything. You don't need that old stuff anymore. And I find it fascinating that he he draws this parallel where he says here in verse 11 that all the bodies of the sacrifices that were being offered in the temple, those bodies, according to the Old Testament law, they were always brought outside the camp after their use had been fulfilled, and they were thrown into the unclean ash heap pile. That's what you do with all these 
carcasses of the animals that were left over. You bring them outside the camp. You get rid of them there. Right? That's the unclean place. And the author of Hebrews says, well, Jesus went to that unclean place. Because when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified on Golgotha, which was a, a hill outside of the old city of Jerusalem. He was outside the camp, and he was crucified there. And the point of the author of Hebrews here is just as those sacrifices were brought out into the unclean place outside the camp, so that the people of Israel could be clean inside the camp, so Jesus was brought outside the camp to be sacrificed there so that we could be brought inside to God's camp, into God's city. You see that parallel there? Jesus was brought out of the city and made unclean so that we could be brought into the heavenly city and made clean. That's the point of the author of Hebrews here. That is the message. That is the crux of the message of this entire book of Hebrews that the author of Hebrews says was proclaimed to them by their leaders. Hold fast to that teaching, he says. Don't turn to anything else. Anything else. Anything else that people try to sell you. Anything else that people try to tell you other than that Jesus is the end-all, be-all is food that will not satisfy And that's important for us to remember and to hold fast to. Isn't it? Because we have a whole lot of food that doesn't satisfy, that's being propagated by many churches out there. Promising health, wealth, and prosperity. And we don't really need the gospel. We just need our best life now. Those kind of things are just promises of food that does not satisfy. What we need is Christ. What we need is what these leaders have proclaimed and what the leaders of this church proclaim to you week in and week out. That the Lord Jesus Christ is everything. That he is our salvation and that we hold fast to him. And so you can see here then, we've got imitate our leaders and we have listen to our leaders when they teach us. All right, Those are the main points here. Now, in verse 13 we actually have the author of Hebrews returning back to point one. And you remember point one is imitate our leaders. Imitate their way of life if it's godly. And chiefly, imitate the Lord Jesus Christ, our chief leader, because he is the perfect example of godliness. Now, here's how he, how he goes about saying this. Verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So just as Jesus went outside the camp and suffered to do the will of God, so the author of Hebrews says that is a kind of example for us, that we should be willing and prepared, if God so calls us, to go out and to suffer for his name's sake. This is the entire message of 1 Peter, the book that Joey is wonderfully preaching through on Sunday evenings. That's the message of 1 Peter. Get ready for suffering. It's coming. The author of Hebrews says, think about Christ as an example of someone who suffered, not just at the hands of physical men, but as one who took upon himself the burden of all of the sin of his people for all time, and he suffered right there for that. That is the archetype of suffering. No one can suffer more than that. And so like Christ, we should be willing to do God's will 
if it be going out and suffering. Now, verse 14 gives us the reason. Why should we be willing to imitate Christ in this way? For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. There you can see the worship in all of life language going on there. Good, like doing the things that God has commanded us to do. Good works, offering sacrifices of praise to God. Right? This is all language about how we worship God in our whole life in light of what he has done for us in the gospel. But all of that being said, why is it that we should be willing to imitate Christ in this way, to suffer like he suffered? It's because we have a lasting city. Not a city that perishes. You remember two weeks ago, earlier in chapter 12, the author of Hebrews was all about the fact that we have an unshakable kingdom because of the work of Christ. Because he has accomplished everything for us on the cross 2,000 years ago, we have been given a heavenly Jerusalem that cannot be taken from us. Not because we are so powerful to hold on to it, but because God is so powerful to hold on to us. That's why the kingdom is unshakable. That's why this city is not able to be taken from us. And so, quite frankly, his point here is, why should we be willing to suffer if God calls us to it? Because we have nothing to lose. Because we have nothing ultimately to lose. We have the unshakable kingdom. We have the city that is to come. So those are the first two points there. We imitate our leaders, chiefly Christ, but also human leaders that God has placed in our lives, and we listen to them when they teach us. But then the third thing that we should do here is in verse 17. Obey our leaders. Notice what he says, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so you can see there the injunction from the Ten Commandments, actually. Remember one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother. And two years ago, in the summer or so, we were going through the Ten Commandments. I don't know, maybe that was ancient history for many of us are trying to remember back then to the Ten Commandments series But when we were doing that commandment, honor your father and mother, we saw that the principle there is not just about children honoring their parents, but rather the principle extends to all situations where a subject must honor the leader. So you can consult the Westminster Shorter Catechism about that principle there, but this is the same thing. The subject submits to the leader. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, obviously, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about this, but obviously, if the leader is telling you to do something that God forbids, or forbidding you from doing something that God commands, then obviously you don't submit to that, right? Because we have a higher authority. So we're not talking about illegitimate leadership. We're talking about legitimate, godly leadership right now, okay? Leadership that is within its jurisdiction, 
And so for leaders that are within their jurisdiction, our response to them is to obey and to submit to them. And the author of Hebrews gives us four reasons why. There are four reasons why we should submit to them. Number one, because they are entrusted with our souls by God. Another way of saying, God has placed that leader over you. God has placed that leader over me. Right? They are entrusted with us. They've been placed in that position by God. And that's why we obey and submit to them. Secondly, they will give an account. They will give an account for how they executed their leadership. Governments will give account to God for how they led the citizens. Parents will give an account to God for how they led their children. Officers of the church will give an account to God for how they led the congregation. They will give an account. So if you don't agree with what's being decided, if it's a legitimate authority and they're acting within their jurisdiction, there's no reason to disobey. There's no reason to cause trouble because they're going to be accountable to God. So they're entrusted with our souls. They'll give an account to God. And then thirdly, allow them to lead with joy. Notice what he says here. This is verse 17. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. If you've ever been a leader and you have an unruly group of subjects, ooh, that is not a joy to lead, is it? No, that's, that's trouble. That's trouble. Parents know all about this, right? You always have unruly subjects, right? But no, leadership, God wants it to be a joy and not groaning. And that's the fourth one right there. They should not lead with groaning, right? So, obey and submit to legitimate leadership when it's not commanding you to do something against the Scripture and when it's acting within its jurisdiction, right? It has authority. Obey and submit to leaders. And then number four here, the fourth the fourth way we should respond to leaders, right? We've got number one, imitate them. Number two, listen when they teach us. Number three, obey leaders. And then number four is support our leaders. And this is verses 18 and 19. He says, pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. So notice right there, the author of Hebrews is lumping himself in with all of the leaders that he's speaking about regarding his readers here. And so he calls for them to pray for leaders, to pray for them, for a clear conscience and for honorable actions in all things. That is, that the leaders would lead biblically with a clear conscience before God. And that the leaders would live a godly life, that they would be honorable in all their actions, that they wouldn't be involved in scandals, that they wouldn't be involved in shaming the organization or the nation or the church that they serve. Pray for them. And notice how he ends it here with verse 19. He says, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, we don't know a lot about that last little phrase there, being restored to them sooner, because we don't know who's writing this letter. Was the guy who wrote this in prison? 
Uh, was he just on a, a long trip? He was far away from them. We don't know. But what we do know here is we focus in verse 19. There's a sense of urgency in his voice as he asks for prayer for himself and for the other leaders. Right? And that's because prayer matters. Prayer matters. As Reformed people, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We know God has ordained whatsoever will come to pass. Right? But just because we believe in the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that we don't believe in the power of prayer. Right? Because while prayer doesn't change God's mind or change God in any way, to say it does would be heresy, prayer does change things. Because God, in his providence, has in some way chosen to use the prayers of the saints to accomplish his will. And so that's why in the scripture we are called so often to pray to our God. And to pray for our leaders. Even for leaders who persecute us. Remember that passage? We are to pray for all leaders. Urgently here. Because they need it. So long story short here, you can see there's a lot of really good teaching here about how we should respond to leaders. And this, this goes for leaders in the government. This goes for leaders in the church. This goes for leaders in the business world. This goes for leaders in the home. And this is what we as Christians ought to be doing. This is the, this is the commandment, honor your father and your mother, expounded for us in great detail. Now, do we do all this business so we can be saved? No. We do all this because we are saved. We're living in light of the gospel because we are called to worship our God in all of life by offering acceptable sacrifices of obedience to him. And praise God for this good, good teaching here. Let's pray as we close here. Lord God, we thank you for another uh, wonderful passage from the book of Hebrews. And Lord... Uh, sometimes we don't like these passages. Uh, we don't like hearing words about obeying and submitting to anybody. We like to be in charge. Well, Lord, allow your word to sink deeply into our hearts this morning and that we would see, see your truth here. And so, Lord, we pray that in all of this you would draw us in our failures, draw us to the gospel, draw us to the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, empower us, send us your Holy Spirit to work in us a greater desire for obedience to you. So Lord, prepare us now throughout all of this to worship you well in all of life. And finally now, and especially this morning, we pray that you would help us to worship you corporately here as we gather for worship in just a few minutes. So we pray all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.